given how scarce sunshine has been around here so far this year, solar power probably isn't top of mind for most Hoosiers. That's not the case, though, for backers and beneficiaries of Indiana's burgeoning solar industry. They're determined to shine a withering light on legislation they contend would discourage homeowners, schools, churches, and small businesses from investing in renewable energy. Hi, I'm John Chuanis, and on this edition of Indiana Lawmakers, we'll focus on the battle over net metering, a billing structure that credits the owners of small-scale solar energy systems for electricity they add to the grid. We'll start with this legislative update from WFYI Public Media's Eric Weddle. Who would have guessed solar energy would become one of the most contentious issues at the State House this session? At the heart of it is net metering, a policy some say could break or make the future of residential rooftop solar energy in Indiana. Net metering is a way for homeowners to offset the cost of installing solar panels and other renewable energy equipment. It allows them to sell their excess energy back to the utility companies at a retail price. But utility companies see this as a subsidy. They want to lower that price to the near wholesale rate. Mark Mazel, president of the Indiana Energy Association, which represents the state's utility companies, says net metering needs to change. It has one customer who does not have solar rooftop, as an example, paying for part of the cost of serving the customer who does have rooftop solar generation. While we're growing an industry, while we're developing an industry, that kind of solar uh, support with a subsidy is not a bad idea. But at some point, we do need to transition away from asking someone to pay for someone else's facilities. Bill author, Republican Senator Brent Hirschman, oversaw an amendment to give current and some future solar panel owners a delay for when net metering prices change. But so far, that's yet to win over opponents. They've taken to social media and come out in droves to testify against the changes. Um, my name is Cindy Whitaker. I live in Zionsville. Grandfathering us in is great, but this approach stifles solar investment going forward, and we need clean energy and every single one of those well-paying clean energy jobs. For me, this is a moral, ethical decision. My responsibility, in fact, is to leave the environment in which future generations may lead healthy lives. And the debate continues. For Indiana Lawmakers, I'm Eric Weddle. Thanks, Eric. Back in a moment with our weekly roundtable discussion. Indiana lawmakers, from the State House to your house. Purdue researchers are advancing manufacturing industries by developing 3D additive methods, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org. By almost any measure, Indiana's solar industry has been growing. According to the Solar Energy Industries Association, solar panels across the state yield a combined 217 megawatts of power, about 40% more than at the outset of 2016, just 15 months ago. Similarly, close to a third of the $360 million investment that's been made in solar power in Indiana came just last year. The question, of course, is whether net metering legislation pending in the General Assembly would shore up the industry or hang over it like a dark cloud. Joining me to discuss the issue are Republican Senator Brant Hirschman of Buck Creek, the Senate's majority floor leader and the author of the legislation in question, Democratic Representative Matt Pierce of Bloomington, the ranking minority member of the House Utilities, Energy and Telecommunications Committee, Mark Mossel, president of the Indiana Energy Association, and Jesse Carbonda, executive director of the Hoosier Environmental Council. Thank you all for being here. 
to listen to my puns and suffer through them hanging over like a cloud. You know I had to do something like that. This is your bill, Brant Hirschman. And this bill that we're looking at now, as it's in, uh, in committee in the House, uh, is a little different from what you started out with. When you, you wanted effectively to do away with net metering within a decade. What was your motive uh, behind that bill? The bill was filed was a starting point, and I told all of the folks, both in favor and against, that I was going to take input from a variety of stakeholders, listen to them, and amend the bill accordingly. And that's what it does. At this point, uh, the bill does a variety of things promoting agricultural biomass, increasing transparency and rate setting, and a variety of other things, but the focus has been on the impact on solar power. And in short, uh, there's really only two questions. How many people can, anybody in the state right now and forevermore, can produce all the power they wish for themselves? The question is, how many people will be allowed to sell back into the grid and at what rate? And as technology and pricing has changed, it's time to update our public policy to reflect the world the way it is so that our old policy doesn't have a negative impact on ratepayer bills and economic competitiveness. And would you say you're, generally speaking, a fan of solar energy? Would you like to see Hoosiers embrace it at every level, whether that's at the, the homeowner level, the church level, the, the larger operation? I'm a fan of renewable energy in general, whether it be wind or solar or biomass or any of a variety of other modes. My concern is that we don't subsidize any one technology to the point where we distort market economics and have a negative impact on Hoosier ratepayers and businesses. Uh, solar has become far more competitive. The price has come down, it's become more efficient, and that's a great thing. More Hoosiers are taking advantage of it, and they should, and I, I welcome it. But the current subsidy that they're receiving was designed in a time when the technology was inefficient and costly, and so we gave them an excess subsidy to try and help the technology develop. It's worked, and now that subsidy needs to be ramped down. If it's not, as more people adopt solar, it's going to start having impacts on other ratepayers, many of them the poorest citizens in our state. Matt Pierce, you probably feel as if you're reliving a committee hearing this yes, week. Uh, 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 respond to that. Well, my question really is why do we need a bill at this point in time? Because we have a utility regulatory commission rule in place that has caps. It's pretty modest caps. And this, if we get to the point where solar really takes off, I mean, it's building up some momentum, but it's still pretty minuscule. And so the incentives we have in place are working. We should allow them to work. If it really takes off and goes crazy, it's going to hit those caps, and then people can go back to the Utility Commission and say, okay, let's raise the caps, and they can decide whether that's a good policy or not. And they can also talk about um, what the credit is. I mean, the one thing that's important to remember is people with residential solar are not getting big checks in the mail from utilities. This is simply credit for credit. So if i got a kilowatt hour that I don't need at peak sunshine when other people need it for their air conditioning, I'll feed it back into the grid. Later on, when the sun's down, if I need a kilowatt, you can send one back to me. And the system's pretty straightforward. And when we're talking about caps, for those who haven't followed this as closely, we're talking about when the all of this uh, solar generation produces a certain percentage, and what is it, one, one, one percent, percent of the utility generation or energy production in the state, that's when under existing uh, law, Correct. that's when the, the net metering would so cut for, out. For those people concerned that somehow solar will take off and become 15 or 20 percent of some hum humongous number, which I think we may get to one day, um, and somehow create big dislocations in the kind of the business model of utilities, that's, that's got a ways to go. And the caps are in place, so the Utility Commission is going to have to address that before it would even get to that point.
And right now, it's if uh, the numbers I looked at uh, are correct, it's basically we talked about subsidies and others supporting uh, this burgeoning industry. Mm-hmm. It's only at one penny, is it not, a, a, a billing cycle for the average customer right now, maybe because of uh, the fact that it's still uh, on the growth cycle. And, and you, uh, we should point out that the 217 uh, megawatts mm-hmm. that I mentioned, that includes the large uh, solar farms that you might see at the airport and some of the others, which are not addressed by net metering. No, you're exactly right. The net metering portion of that 217 megawatts is probably about 20 megawatts. That's from the NIURC report they issued recently. So if it is such a small, almost negligible amount, why so agitated about this bill? Or I should say, why so zealous about this bill? You want to see it pass? I think what we have in Indiana is a wonderful opportunity that exists now and will disappear at some point in the future. And the opportunity is we are not in crisis mode. So we can, as Senate Bill 309 currently provides, we can continue to net meter for quite a period of time without creating dramatic negative impacts on customers. There, there is an impact. It's there now, and it will grow as time goes by. Frankly, as an industry, we support the increased amount of solar here in the state of Indiana. We're, we're an all-of-the-above strategy, and this includes rooftop solar. Having said that, the subsidy is real, and now is the time to put in place a process, a plan that says when you hit these points in time or these targets, it's time to transition away from that subsidy. As Senator Hirschman pointed out, the, the, the cost of solar has dropped dramatically in the, in the period of time from when it was first introduced in America, and we need to recognize it as those costs go down. The necessity for a subsidy, and frankly putting that subsidy on other people, other customers, is no longer appropriate. So again, well, they, you, you're liking solar, because, and in fact some of your members, the utilities have invested in solar. Either arrays. own it or purchase it. It's just the you think that the industry, or that at least as it's done at, in, in the net metering sphere, should stand on its own. It, we're reaching that point very quickly. Again, the advantage is we have time. We don't have to do something today as opposed to some other states in America. And I think you know, that I would just wanted to jump in and say I think this is the main point of contention because um, people are arguing that there's some huge subsidy that's cost-shifting. And, in fact, a lot of the literature and studies have been done on this show that there's really a net benefit to all customers, even if you don't net meter, because by creating this additional distributed generation, utilities can avoid building more baseload power plants. And that's a tremendous um, addition to the rate base, and that costs ratepayers more money. And at the time in the summer when you have a really heavy load, because everyone's cranking their A.C., that's when those solar panels are working the best. And at the exact same time, the utility might have to go out in the open market and buy expensive power because it's in high demand. That's when these solar panels are feeding into the system. And they're feeding it into a place where it's closer to where it's actually going to get used. So you don't have the long transition. Right, you get uh, line transmission lines where you, right. there's a dissipation of power, right. I suppose. Right. Jesse Carbondo. Uh, well, bu- building off of that point that Representative Pierce raised, if you look at the last 16 studies that have been done about uh, the benefits and costs of solar, they all show a net benefit. In other words, that what rooftop solar brings to the grid is more than it costs to the grid. And if you look at eight of 11 recent studies, they show that not only is there a net benefit, but that the benefit is actually more than the retail rate. So this characterization of there being a subsidy is, is just simply not true. Uh, and you look at it from a, a few different lenses. You look at it from the lens of, of math, that there's just less than 950 homes in Indiana that have net metering, and yet we have 2.5 million homes. So to think that that could possibly uh, have any kind of impact is, is just not credible. And furthermore, you have caps in place in all 43 states that have net metering. Uh, 
and that is true of our state as well. You know, solar has a tremendous opportunity to contribute to our economy in, in Indiana. Already it's the source of 200,000 jobs in the United States, growing 12 times faster than the private sector. And for us to drastically change the policy climate is against the philosophy of being pro-economic growth in Indiana. What is, what is the projection on when, under existing uh, guidelines, Indiana would reach the cap? I've seen, is it 2020, 2025? 2021 under the existing rule is, is when the that's cap when, would Based end. on current usage. Uh, well, no, that's in, in regulation. In the so net meter law that was set to, set, set, to okay. set to 1%. If it doesn't happen before that, if the cap is not met before that. And it depends on the utility. Some of them, some utilities are having their customers participate more quickly, and the cap is by utility. But I think Jesse said something interesting, that all the states have a cap. Why? The reason all the states have a cap is because every one of them recognized that the subsidy that they provided for net metering would be distortive to other people's rates at a certain point if they didn't have a cap. And in fact, Arizona's Public Service Commission just studied this. It shows a cost shift from those who net meter to other customers of about $900 a year. You're right, with the current system, since we only allow a few people to participate, the shift isn't that great. But shouldn't we want to allow all Hoosiers to participate if they can? And if we do that, and if we lift the cap, that $900 a year subsidy becomes a greater and greater impact and distortive rate. And it's not necessary because the cost of generation has gone down, of solar generation has gone down so much. Well, you mentioned the cost shifting, and I'm familiar with that study in Arizona. Hmm. Nevada saw, I think, similar results. Of course, the, 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 those might be somewhat outliers in terms of the amount of sunshine that uh, I, I wish to, we could see get the sunshine here probably. Actually, to, that, to uh, our negative, we're not as efficient in producing solar power as they are. So um, you don't you, see that their climate is not an issue as to why? To, I think to the, to the other side of the equation, I think it's more detrimental to Indiana than it potentially is to Arizona or Nevada. Arizona relies heavily on nuclear power, for instance. We're facing a change in our fuel mix away from coal. Our power is becoming more expensive in, in Indiana which allows solar to compete ever more efficiently. Well, how about this notion? I mean, if, it's, if the technology is that good, and I guess we can stipulate that it's gotten more efficient, cheaper, okay. uh, as noted, why can't the technology stand on its own without subsidy? Well, I, I, first of all, th there is no subsidy, and, and it's, it's just simply well, been debunked by uh, all the different studies that you look at at a national level. Uh, the notion of the cap isn't so much about this issue of capping a subsidy. It's more about utility markets getting smart about scaling up a new technology that's plugging into the grid and making sure that we're thinking about what this might, what might be the implications in terms of grid reliability. That's the whole idea of utility commissions periodically revisiting that cap and incrementally increasing. It's a smart idea to do it in a methodical way. Uh, it's not from the standpoint of subsidy. Um, as Representative Pierce mentioned, there is a net benefit that solar brings to the grid in terms of offsetting that, some of that peak demand, in terms of reducing the distribution and generation costs on the part of utilities, in terms of increasing grid security. Those are values that are worthy of being monetized for the grid. Well, and there's also issues of pollution and, and uh, you know, less reliance on, on fossil fuels. And I, you talk about uh, General Assembly not being in the business necessarily of shoring up industries or propping up industries, but an Indiana statute for 
decades, if not longer, has rewarded people who, for instance, give to charity, uh, give to Indiana-based higher education institutions. Uh, there are ways that the General Assembly can uh, recognize or reward financially good behavior. If, if this is such a good thing and a better environment, why not say, okay, we are going to we are going to prop this up in and, the short haul. And we do. And in some ways we do. We provide property tax exemptions. Actually, I was the author of that that allowed the big project at the airport to go on. And in fact, the and Senate there's a sales tax uh, uh, benefits as well for those who buy as or not. I, I believe uh, that. An I, income tax on state income tax. Uh, federal income tax. There is a, a large benefit, at least for the next five years. Uh, and but there's all, a benefit. That's, that's that all stays. Unaffected. Uh, not, yeah, Any unaffected. tax advantage you would have. If this is an act, we actually pay a benefit in this bill. Uh, for anyone who has solar power right now, they'll be grandfathered at full retail rates for another 30 years to make sure they can pay off. And that's system. one of the changes that went from right. everybody being done in 10 years. So now, if you we have give, it now or by the end of the year, you can go for 30 years. 30 years. If, if you had, get it by what 2022, you can have it for another 10, 10 on top of that. that and for those past that, we're willing to pay a 25% premium over the wholesale rates that yep. Mark Mosel's utilities could receive if they went out on the spot market. But that's still only, what, a third of what they would get now? Uh, or, or a little more than a third, yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. If he has to buy power on, on, a, on a particular day from another utility, he buys it at wholesale. If that power comes from someone who is solar net metering, he pays three times that, which is passed on to all other rate payers. To suggest that's not a subsidy is ludicrous. I think there is, and I think there are benefits to solar. I won't dispute that. It's why I'm in favor of it. It's also why I'm in favor of paying a premium. I'm simply saying that the current premium is way too large considering current technology prices and market conditions. Well, here, here's the, one of the other problems of the bill is we're doing something here pretty unusual in that we're actually setting a rate in statute. Normally what we do is we tell the utility commission, you're the experts, you take the evidence, you have the impartial hearing, and then you make the judgment on what you think is the reasonable rate. And so that's the first problem. And the second thing is there are other provisions of the bill that allow utilities to come in and seek other fees and additional um, charges to people who are net metering. If absolutely. they go to the IURC. If they go to the IURC. But the point is you're, you're creating uncertainty in the whole system because you're opening it up. You appear to be saying, okay, we're going to have a very, you know, here's exactly what it's going to be everybody knows. And then you've got the ability to come in and say, well, I should be able to, um, not have to pay that premium if I can show there's some kind of um, break-even point, which is not quite clear to me what that means. And then you've got these other opportunities for some additional charges. So one of the talking points in support is that you want to eliminate uncertainty, and yet you're saying, Matt Pierce, this actually introduces yeah. uncertainty. Where, yeah. where, where does your organization come down? I think we know that, that you would say that this is a move towards certainty. It, it is. But how do you address what what Representative Pierce just said about uh, not knowing necessarily if utilities would seek additional fees in, in, through petition to so, so IURC. Keep, for my, keep in mind that, that what this does compared to the current IURC rule is set that transition in place. Right now we can all speculate what the IURC might do in just a few short years, 2020, 2021, when they start to review the current rule. No one really knows. So making a decision today, assuming that rule survives unchanged, there's, there's uncertainty. This bill puts in place time frames, it puts in place grandfathering, it puts in place pricing so you know how and where different transitions are going to happen. I think beyond that it, it relies substantially on the IURC. Even that price after you get past the net metering period, let's say 2023 if you haven't installed a solar system by then, 
at that point, the IURC has to decide what is the wholesale price. The mere fact that they're being told by the General Assembly to multiply it by 25% through the 25% premium, that's a pure policy decision. How much should we value solar here in the state of Indiana? And that's policy set by the state. And it really is appropriate that the General Assembly weigh in on that and then turn to the IURC and say, but wait a minute, the wholesale price, that's for you all to figure out. Well, the classical way of dealing with these issues in the 43 states that have net metering is for the public utility commissions to uh, take a methodical look that brings old parties together and revisits its rules. So we wouldn't have to reach the situation in 2021 where the rule lapses and there's uncertainty. We could start that rulemaking process, which, by the way, Republicans backed back in 2010 when they sent a letter to Governor Mitch Daniels and said, look, we want you to do a revisit of the net metering rule, and the commission has a regulatory, has a statutory authority to do so. Um, I do want to revisit an earlier point, a a crucial point, which is this notion of comparing rooftop solar to to the wholesale market. Uh, Rooftop solar, customer-owned generation, provides a number of benefits that the wholesale market does not provide. It provides peaking uh, benefits. It provides grid security. It provides voltage control. So it's not an apples-to-apples comparison that would make it legitimate to be talking about this notion of comparing uh, power that comes from rooftop solar to uh, the wholesale market. And if somebody, in theory, I don't know if this is even possible, wanted to rely solely on uh, photovoltaic cells on his or her roof and isn't attached to the grid, again, there might be somebody out there, this would not affect them in any way. This is only if they have to come and tap the grid for those times when, well, we have a season like we have the past three months. As I said at the beginning, anybody who wants to install solar or wind or any other renewable energy to provide for their own power needs can do so. This bill doesn't affect it. The state has no role in that. Uh, What it does do is two things. It answers the question, how many people will be allowed to install renewable energy and sell power back to the grid? which is currently capped, and we increase the number of people who are able to do that by 50%. And the second question is, how will they be compensated for that excess power they sell back? And the whole issue here over 309 is whether the current uh, rule and the current subsidy is too lucrative uh, in the long term when more and more people adopt this. Will it have a negative impact? And I'm saying the answer is yes. And if we truly want to promote renewable energy in this state, then we've got to reflect something closer to market conditions. I think it's fair to pay a premium for renewable. The current premium is too big. I think if you look across the country, though, what's really happening is utility industry sees their business model is under siege, that eventually these renewables are going to scale up to a point where people can be much more self-sufficient. And unfortunately, instead of the utility industry really facing that future and deciding how they're going to adjust their business models and become something new, just as the telecom and the media industry had dramatic change with the Internet and other things coming along, instead we're kind of in the classic pattern where you try to say, well, I'm not going to stop this industry, but I can at least hobble it and hold it back for a while longer and preserve my business model. And that's, I think, what's really going on here. Is that what you would say utilities are doing, or are utilities saying... And I've seen some of uh, people on your side of the issue quoted as saying, we love solar, we want to do it, we just think it's more efficient to do it on the large scale with the the solar arrays that we've seen popping up with some of the utilities uh, in the state. Well, again, in an all-of-the-above strategy, you would include 
a large-scale solar like you would see at the airport, or you'd include rooftop solar. Those are clearly parts of our energy portfolio going forward. The, the business model in the utility industry is fundamentally the grid. It's moving power back and forth between wherever it's produced and wherever it's needed. What we face here in the state of Indiana is a transition in utility-owned generation. There are projections out there that show that we could retire as much as 3,000 megawatts of generation in the coming years. How do we replace that? How do we serve customers? We use an all-of-the-above strategy. Some of it is rooftop solar. There's nothing wrong with that. Frankly, some of it is industrial cogeneration. Again, Senate Bill 309 provides ways to enhance that. All of those can be part of our energy portfolio going forward, and, and we have a strong policy in the state of Indiana that says let's look at all of those options. Will there be utility-scale generation in the future? I think the answer is yes, because it remains very efficient, very effective, and with the transition to natural gas and others, that, that will continue to be a key part of our portfolio. Well, we use up all our time, and if we go over, then I'm going to have to owe somebody net time. I don't know if, <laughs> if that's under, covered by statute or not. Uh, the bill is likely to be voted on uh, the, the chairman week. of your committee next week. may see more changes. Clearly, this is something that's tapped, uh, accord, struck a chord with a lot of people on both sides of the issue in Indiana. So I appreciate all of you coming and shedding light on it. Nope, that was unintended pun uh, <laughs> for this discussion. I appreciate it. Again, my guests have been Republican Senator Brand Hirschman of Buck Creek, Democratic Representative Matt Pierce of Bloomington, Mark Mossel of the Indiana Energy Association, and Jesse Carbonda of the Hoosier Environmental Council. Reading, writing, arithmetic, and religion. We're talking school prayer again on the next Indiana Lawmakers. And time now for our weekly conversation with Ed Feigenbaum, publisher of the newsletter Indiana Legislative Insight. Ed, when we, the session started, this wasn't on anybody's agenda, and now it's sort of uh, become the major cause for a lot of Hoosiers. Yeah, and there are a lot of moving parts to this bill, and, and that's why on Wednesday there was a Oh, a six-and-a-half-hour hearing in, in the, the House, literally in the More House chamber. More than 40 chamber. people, I think, signed up to testify. And I think That's... ultimately about 60 did. Um, and I think leadership is now regretting perhaps making a 20-something-year-old the chair of the committee because he had the stamina to stay there the whole he has time. The energy, you might there say. There were no breaks. There were no breaks. But this bill, you know, does a lot of different things, too. It's not just net metering and... There's a provision that's in there that, that's very important to some of the large industrial electric consumers in the, the state, particularly some of the folks in northwest Indiana with, uh, around the steel mills and the big companies up there, where they want to generate their own uh, electricity and, and essentially be free of some of the other regulation, too. So there's a lot more to it. And then you've got the philosophical questions of, of the subsidies, and, and you, know, you, you can compare that to for example, ethanol, and, and what happens when the subsidies go away? Well, they keep asking for them. And then you've got schools and, as, as we heard, churches, uh, you know, that are involved in this, too. And, you know, the schools a few years ago were, were told by some senators to be creative in terms of coming up with ways of saving money, and they did this, and with the solar energy and with, with windmills, and do they're getting batted down. Do you think that the grandfathering that we discussed that's in the bill now is that enough to placate uh, people who were outraged at the uh, initial bill when it was filed? I think it, it's one way of, of trying to come to a compromise, and that's obviously the, you know, the end point with, with any piece of, of legislation. But technology changes so much in so few years. You know, we, we've seen things get miniaturized. We've seen things get much more powerful. Chances are that, that the solar energy and, and wind energy is going to change to biomass over the, the coming years, and some of this will, will become obsolete before it even ages out. And does this bill pass this session, and does it get signed? Oh, I think some form of it will, will pass, and 
you know, it could be interesting to see what the governor would do with it based on the ability to, to regulate through the IURC as well. Very interesting. Ed, thank you as always for your insight. We'll see you next week. For more information, episode streams, and other extra content, visit us on the web at wfyi.org lawmakers. You can access live streaming coverage of the General Assembly on the Internet as well. And remember, you can get our show on demand from Xfinity. Well, that concludes another edition of Indiana Lawmakers. I'm John Chuanis, and on behalf of WFYI Public Media, Indiana's other public broadcasting stations, and my colleagues at Feigenbaum and Eric Weddle, I thank you for joining us, and I invite you to visit WFYI.org for more statehouse coverage. Until next week, take care. Purdue researcher Phil Owens is creating new ways to map soil functions, improve plant growth, and increase crop yields, leading through innovation and job creation. Purdue Research Foundation. Contact innovation at prf.org.